I think that's Oracle's a real issue. Ryan, I hear what you're saying, but I think what is the real problem, the real menace in the format right now is Deadeye Navigator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Playing With Power podcast, where we talk about all things CEDH, EDH, and Magic the Gathering. My name is Ryan, and I am your host, and today we are going to be talking about Thassa's Oracle. That's right, the big dangerous fish that everyone is so scared of and everyone loves and or hates, maybe? You know, we're going to be talking about that today. And who better to talk about that is our good friend from the Spike Feeders, and his name is Jim. Welcome to the show, Jim. Hey, Ryan. How you doing? Good, good. Thank you for asking. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself who doesn't already know you, which I'm sure is only like three people at this point because everybody knows who you are. So Yeah, well, there's not a ton to say. Uh, I run a YouTube channel called The Spike Feeders, uh, and we also do a little bit of Twitch variety streaming under the same name. And uh, I'm also a member of the Commander Advisory Group, which is sort of a 10-person extension of the Rules Committee, um, where we talk and uh, argue and sometimes disagree about where the format should go. <laughs> well... Maybe or maybe not, this is one of those things. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Well, glad to have you on the show. Really happy that you're here. Um, and before we dive into today's topic, really want to talk quickly about our uh, sponsors. Uh, that is TCG Player, Dragon Shield, and of course, all of you over on Patreon. So if you're looking to buy any cards, uh, maybe Thassa's Oracle, maybe, maybe something from the new Modern Horizons, which is looking like a great set. Uh, make sure that you purchase those from TCG Player at the links in the description below. Um, they go a long way to help bring this content to you. Uh, you get really good cards at really great prices, and you still get to help support local game stores in the process. Uh, when you get those cards, make sure you sleeve them up and protect them in Dragon Shield. We stand very strongly behind Dragon Shield products. They are our number one go-to for all of this stuff. Even before they were our sponsors, we would always use Dragon Shield because we absolutely stand behind their quality. And then finally, all of the support over on Patreon. Um, when you sign up to Patreon, you get all kinds of great perks, such as access to our Discord, live streaming, uh, you get access to raw gameplay footage, uh, unaired games, and get access to all kinds of different perks as well. Uh, some of you, if you want to decide to sign up to the Mox Pearl tier, you actually get to be on an episode of Playing With Power, and that is a lot of fun. So, and speaking of Patreon, one of the things that we do on our podcast is shout out one lucky patron uh, at every episode, and today's patron is... Greg, thank you very much, Greg. Really appreciate it. Thanks for being a patron. You are the best. And I'm not going to say anything else about Greg because I know Greg and he's a great guy. So we're just going to we're just going to leave it at that. So All right. So with that, we're going to go ahead and dive into today's topic, which is Thassa's Oracle. So Thassa's Oracle is a card. That's good and fine, but what exactly are we talking about when we talk about Thassa's Oracle? Anybody who's been in the CDH scene for any number of time, whether it be idly viewing or deeply entrenched in it, knows what Thassa's Oracle is. So a quick read of what Thassa's Oracle is before we really get into the nitty gritty is Thassa's Oracle is two blue for a 1-3 merfolk wizard, and it has the text, when it Thassa's Oracle enters the battlefield, look at the top X cards of your library where X is your devotion to blue, put up to one of them, that means it can be zero, onto the top of your library and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. That's all good and fine, but what makes Thassa's Oracle such an important topic to get its own show? 
And that's that second line here. And that is, if X is greater to, greater than, or equal to the number of cards in your library, you win the game. So what we're going to be talking about here is what exactly that second line has done to CDH, what it has done to EDH, and everything revolving around Thassa's Oracle as a win con and as an approach and everything about what Thassa's Oracle is or is not doing to this format. So let's go ahead and dive right in. So, uh, Jim, just starting with you, why would you say that this card is popular? Uh, how is it different from maybe some of the other mechanics that we've seen on uh, other similar cards, such as Laboratory Maniac, Jace Wilder of Mysteries? Um, and just talk to me a little bit about this card's impact and your approach to it or your feelings on it. Yeah, so I guess one of the, one of the biggest reasons why people play this over laboratory maniac is you kind of get to uh feel things out in terms of counter magic before you really commit to getting rid of your library so uh one of the one of the downsides of playing jace wielder of mysteries or laboratory maniac is the sequencing is you have to have it in play then you got to get rid of your library somehow you either exile it via demonic consultation or tainted pact or you might draw it uh, or you might like flip it into your into your graveyard. You might mill yourself. Any any way you do it, you got to get rid of your library somehow. And then you attempt to draw from an empty library. So there's a moment in time where Laboratory Maniac or Jace are in play. You've got an empty library, and then you attempt to draw a card, and that's what's going to win you the game. But there's that moment of vulnerability where if something happens to your Laboratory Maniac, you suddenly have no cards in your library and you're attempting to draw a card, right? So if that Laboratory Maniac goes away, you attempt to draw a card from an empty library and you lose the game. With Thassa's Oracle, you can sequence it a little bit differently. You can cast Thassa's Oracle. You can wait to see if Thassa's Oracle, the spell resolves. And then when it enters the battlefield, it triggers its own ETB ability. And then with that on the stack, you can hold priority and get rid of your library. So what that allows you to do is feel out any counter magic. So you can say, does anybody have any counter magic for Thassa's Oracle, the creature spell on the stack? And then if not, you know it's pretty much safe to get rid of your library. Now, if somebody does have counter magic for Thassa's Oracle, then you haven't committed yourself to anything. You still have all your cards in your library. You don't have to worry about, you know, ending up with nothing, you know, available to you for the rest of the game. You can just do it, you know, and then... If the Thassa's Oracle gets countered, it ends up in your graveyard or whatever, maybe you just wait for your Underworld Breach and try again later. Or maybe you reanimate it. Or maybe you do any other number of things. Um, so that's the first reason. Um, would you agree with that assessment? Yeah. I would. Yep. I mean, the, the other sort of flip side of that same issue is that there's generally less efficient counter magic that hits creatures than non-creature spells. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to win the game... Um, you know, via any number of non-creature spells, a lot of them won't hit creatures. And that's just a, a fact of life these days. Like people aren't playing, uh, you know, I guess they're playing uh, Red Elemental Blast uh, might do it. But, sure. you know, aside from that, like your dispels aren't going to hit it. Your Force of Negations aren't going to hit it. Like all these popular, cheap, efficient counter magic, they're not hitting Thassa's Oracle. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I would say um, the flip side to that, uh, sorry, the next, uh, the next reason why people run it instead of these other things is it's a creature which means it's relatively available in terms of tutoring you know you've got your if you're playing survival of the fittest if you're playing worldly tutor 
like all of these creature tutors make it available to you from your library you can um finale of devastation it into play you can quarter calling green sun zenith like all or i guess not green sun zenith but um creatures in your library are generally more available to you than something like an enchantment you know and given that the uh the win the game ability is on a trigger and not on uh you know on a, a replacement effect like laboratory maniac if people aren't running stifle effects you know counter magic that hits activate or triggered abilities um that's pretty much it once they attempt to resolve the trigger then they win agreed so triggered abilities are no notoriously hard or notoriously narrow to be able to interact with uh other than you know out and out prevention effects like torpor orb or something along those lines, really you don't have a whole lot of things that is commonly seen in the CDH meta with things like, you said, Stifle, Squelch, maybe something like these really, really edge case kind of cards. There's a new one. And, huh? There's a new one. Oh, there is. Have you seen it? Modern Horizons, Dressed Down. No. It is a two-mana enchantment with Flash, and it's basically sudden spoiling. It uh, causes creatures to lose all abilities. Or humility, I guess, would be yeah, better. Yeah, it's humility. Uh, That's right. Yeah. yeah, I have seen that. Yeah. So although that won't deal with the triggered ability on the stack, if you cast it in response to the Thassa's Oracle, the creature spell, by the time Thassa's Oracle enters, it doesn't have an ETB ability. So mm -hmm. That's right. So you have this super narrow way to interact with this super powerful win condition. Um, it doesn't require a board state really to set up like things like food chain require certain elements to be present in order for you to win the game. Um, even things like ad nauseum require certain elements in order for you to win the game. You have to build up a whole bunch and then usually kind of storm off for the win. Thassa's Oracle doesn't really require a lot of that. And uh, piggybacking on what you said about creatures, creatures are usually what you reanimate from graveyards. Mm -hmm. So you counter it or you find a way to get it in your graveyard. It's not hard for you to cast a very simple reanimation spell to put it onto the battlefield, which will trigger its ETB. And so this is what makes Thassa's Oracle so unbelievably powerful as a win condition in our format. With all of that coming, you know, encompassing uh, what we talked about, we see that... Um, that it has kind of become very ubiquitous as far as a win condition for CEDH. Um, and we start to see some of it even bleeding over into other formats as well. Maybe not necessarily when I say different formats, I say yeah. EDH, but, you know, Historic oh. had a little bit of a shakeup because Boy, of the did old it ever. <laughs> And yes, it did. And Thassa's Oracle ended up getting banned because of it. Um, so... It's become so ubiquitous because of the things like the easy setup, it's, it's, you know, versatility, it's reliability. And some people have seen that almost as a negative thing. So when some people maybe approach you, Jim, uh, as it is a negative thing, what do you say to something like that? Do you think it's negative? Do you think it's positive? How do you feel about Thassa's Oracle as kind of the go-to win condition? In I think, you know, the, the concept of there being a first best strategy in the format, I, I don't see that as being inherently problematic. You know, if you were to come to me and say, this is the best thing that you can do in EDH, I don't think that that in and of itself is a problem. I think that that's mostly just a fact of the format, right? Like, you know, you've got a, a limited number of cards available to you. There's going to be a best thing that you can do. And that, that will be, you could ban every card except for 300 cards and there would still be a best deck in the format, you know? Um, there's a best deck in standard and there's like maybe 5% of the cards available to you in standard as there are in EDH, right? 
So I don't think that by virtue of the fact that it's the best thing that you can do, and I think it very clearly is the best thing that you can do, um, I don't think that that's problematic by itself. You know, um, most of the time when people approach me to say this is problematic, they're wanting something to get banned. And although that's not, um, you know, uh, an authority that I have as somebody in the in the EDH community, if if you were to convince me that it needs to be banned, um, I could take that to the rules committee and say, hey, this is what I think, you know. So my role in an advisory capacity is, uh, you know, when things like this come up in conversation among the rules committee and the commander advisory group, that I can chime in with my two cents. Um, so if somebody were to come to me and say, Fast Oracle needs to get banned, for me, it's a very high bar to clear. And, and to give you an idea of why, um, let me just do a quick comparison, okay? Let me get your sense of how many cards do you think have been banned in Commander in the past five years? Uh, well, I yeah, I, I do kind of know that number, but <laughs> it's 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 been uh, well. I know even in the last two years, we've had a total of yeah. In the past five years, it's five, maybe four. Um, is yeah, it? it's five. It's five. So wow, even I so five five cards in five years <laughs> yeah. and. Uh, cards have been unbanned. So in terms of like the net size of the card pool, mm -hmm. the card pool is much bigger than it was five years ago. And that's mostly just because cards get added as they get created. But also we don't take cards out of the card pool on a regular basis. It's not regularly curated to uh, develop a particular play experience, right? Commander's MO is to the greatest extent that's practical, let people play with whatever they want to play. Right. So if you consider the fact that out of 20,000 something cards in the format, there's really only like, if you take out like stuff that obviously doesn't work in the format, like conspiracies and stuff like that, um, there's really only like maybe 40 cards banned in the entire format. It's not a lot. Right. So if you think about the 40 cards that are on the ban list are like, I don't know, I don't know what the math works out to, but it's like, a percent? Is it? A, is it even a percent? It's not a percent. It's a fraction of a percent, not right? Even, not even remotely. Of the cards yeah. that could be banned are banned. So if you come to me and say this card needs to get added to that list, that's a huge bar to clear. Like, have you seen the other stuff on the ban list? Like Black Lotus, the Moxon, Balance. Like, there's some questionable stuff in my opinion on the ban list, but for the most part, it's a pretty high bar to clear. So if you come, if you're coming to me and saying Fastest Oracle needs to be removed from the format. It's so bad that we can't communicate with people to talk about why we don't like playing against it. It's so bad that at a base format level, we need to prevent people from being able to use it, period. Uh, because the play experience that it creates is so bad, so negative, so toxic, that it's going to either inhibit the growth of the format, it'll cause people to quit playing Magic. Like, this is this is like the bar that you have to clear. Um, Fastest Oracle, I don't think reaches quite that level. That's that's my personal opinion. Um, if you were to compare Fast Oracle in terms of like efficiency, in terms of setup, I know you mentioned a couple other things like ad nauseum, like food chain, all these other things. If you were to like plot them out on a, on a graph, you know, and say, this is how effective um, ad nauseum is. This is how effective Underworld Breach is. This is how effective food chain is, right? Like 
they're all going to be sort of in the same neighborhood. Fastest Oracle is maybe a little bit better than those, you know? It's not like an order of magnitude better. It's not five turns faster in the course of a regular game faster. It's not like it's good, but it's not like Hogak and modern good, you know? Um, so that's my personal opinion. Um, it, it is better. It's more difficult to disrupt. It's more difficult to interact with. I do see some indications from Watsi that the interaction that might be coming down um, through research and development, and this is not my insider opinion or anything like that. I don't have insider insights into research and development, mm -hmm. but I do see things like dress down as an indication that they might be picking up on the fact that there needs to be better answers to triggered abilities. Um, that's been a trend in creature design over the past five years or so. This whole like fire design methodology has been to give immediate value on creatures when you cast them. Um, you look at it from, you know, creatures cantripping or like questing beasts. Like by the time you get in for damage, you know, you've already killed one of their creatures and you know, you're net even, even if they remove your questing beast. Right. Um, and it's gotten to the point where removal, like a swords to plowshares doesn't do anything against the Thassa's Oracle. Right. So, you know, I do see some indications just based on the last several sets that they might be picking up on the fact that they need to deal with that a little bit more. Um, that would be my favorite way. If you ask me, like, what's your ideal way of reigning in Thassa's Oracle? It would be better interaction on ETB abilities on creatures. Um, like something playable, something free, something one mana that is like eminently playable maybe like counter target triggered ability and exile the creature off the stack or something like that or exile the creature from the battlefield like a sword to plowshares plus stifle stapled to it um but i don't think that it rises to the level of like format menace if that makes sense so let's let's go into a little bit of devil's advocate here i'm going to represent the opposition for a little bit mm -hmm. and you're going to if if you will uh just kind of answer the questions that are out there in the ether and by the ether sure. i mean the twitter sphere and by the twitter sphere i mean the very angry twitter sphere so <laughs> okay. let's do it all right let's do it so, I'm buckling in all right so first of all let's let's quickly talk about um uh, stack interaction in winning the game. I can frequently attribute Thassa's Oracle's win condition to something like Coalition Victory. Basically, mm -hmm. I'm winning on the stack because it's a triggered mm -hmm. ability. Yeah, it's a permanent then enters play, but for the sake of how it wins the game, it really is winning on the stack. That's what's going yeah. on. So if something like Coalition Victory is banned because of how it interacts, because we know that the ban list isn't a hard list of these are the things you shouldn't play. It is a um, it is a guideline for things that should be discouraged in a normal in a normal you know discourse of a game or of a format or something. Yep. I'm rambling because I don't design the document. Yeah, I just I follow it. Yeah. But so coalition victory is on the ban list for the reason of I win out of nowhere. So talk to me about how Thassa's Oracle and its approach to win condition doesn't match that of coalition victory or if it does match it why isn't it on the ban list like coalition victory you want the most unsatisfying response to this question in the world always <laughs> i think coalition victory should come off the ban list so um the reason being there's a, there's a little bit of nuance to call to coalition victory and that's that um 
people who play Coalition Victory are more likely to play it without realizing the effect that ending the game early has on games, right? And I say early, I put early in quotes. I actually don't think that Coalition Victory's uh, setup is as easy as a lot of people make it out to be. I think that, like, if you look at the design of Five Color Commanders in the past little while, uh, most Five Color Commanders or Five Color Identity Commanders are not Five Color Commanders. Um, so if you're playing like Golos, you don't have access to a five color permanent in your command zone, right? It doesn't satisfy the the criteria of coalition victory. Correct. Um, so you might be able to set up lands, but you still have to get five colors worth of creatures in play. So like, I think the good commanders that people play lately that are five colors are like Najila, Golos, Cody, like none of these are five color permanents. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I, I think that that does a lot to reign in the power of Coalition Victory. But I think that when people look at Coalition Victory and they want to play it in their five-color deck, they're saying, this is going to be so cool, and they don't anticipate the reaction that a lot of people will have to it. I don't think that the same is true for people that are playing A plus B Thassa's Oracle combos. I think that once you've gotten to that point in deck building where you realize, I can just get rid of my deck, and then I'll cast Thassa's Oracle and win the game on the spot... I think you're going into that eyes open, knowing what people's reaction to it is going to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there might be the odd case where, you know, uh, uh, an LGS has a whole large portion of their player base that says, I'm going to show up with Fastest Oracle on game night. Not, not game night at the show, but like on Wednesday night commander, you know. Mm -hmm. And it creates for a miserable experience because everybody's playing the same thing. And that's not the responsibility of one individual person, but, you know, 15 people out of 30 playing Thassa's Oracle consultation decks can make for a miserable night. And I think that they might be able to go into that without realizing the effect that it's going to have on their local meta. But at, at the deck building phase where they're like, you know, I'm going to include this in my deck. I think they're going in wide open knowing what the effect is on the pod. If you're winning the game early, if you're winning the game in that kind of anticlimactic way, you're doing it consciously. And I think banning Thassa's Oracle doesn't fix that because I think if you're dead set on doing something like that, you'll just find another way to do it, you know? So I would say the next thing from a devil's advocate standpoint would be, okay, so from a design standpoint of the ban list, we see that these cards will be for lack of a really better nomenclature and unfun play experience is kind of what you're you know getting at um however we have an outcry uh if you will of thassa's oracle thassa's oracle is boring thassa's oracle is anticlimactic thassa's oracle is not how i want to play my games of commander you see this outcry growing you know maybe bigger and bigger rumbling in the distance and before long it's you know it's deafening right in front of you is it something that is you should bring to the rules committee or maybe just to CAG level discourse uh, talking about it, even if it's something maybe not you necessarily agree with, uh, or maybe something that you said doesn't meet the bar of what do you do in that aspect when it comes to Thassa's Oracle? How do you approach that? Hey, everyone says it should be banned. Should the tail wag the dog? Is it something that should be something else? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I don't even think that. I, I don't think that that's even a case of the tail wagging the dog. I, I think that it's really important that we bring, you know, the general um, sentiments of the community to the rules committee. Big part of uh, what our role is on the commander advisory group is making sure that the rules committee 
hears from different corners of the community, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not even, uh, you know, if, if you were to ask what's my role on the rules committee, I'm not specifically, um, you know, the CEDH person on the rules committee. Like I play CEDH occasionally, but I'm not, that's not why I'm there, you know? Um, but our role is to kind of filter that information to them, but also provide a layer of analysis on top of that. So, you know, what are you hearing from people and what do you think about it is, is more our role in the commander advisory group. So I might say several people have approached me about, um, you know, banning fast as Oracle. I've also had several people talk to me about not wanting fast as Oracle banned. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, as a general rule, just about anything that you can think of in terms of, um, changes to the format, there are people that will argue on either side, right? So kind of when people come to me and say, I want Thassa's Oracle banned, you know, not only is the bar, you have to establish the fact that it's bannable. You got to tell me why your argument is better than that guy's argument, right? Like if I've got somebody coming to me saying, I think you should ban Thassa's Oracle because it's miserable. And I've got another person saying, please don't ban Thassa's Oracle because I love what it's doing to the CDH meta. Who do I listen to there? Right. They might both be right in their own local metas. Mm -hmm. Um, they might just have different concepts of what's fun, right? So generally, we sort of like to err on the side of let people play their stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I shouldn't say that I don't bring it to the rules committee because I do. Like, you know, in our last meeting, I did bring up the fact that people have talked about Thassa's Oracle, but I also told them I don't think it rises to uh, the level of banning. So mm -hmm. the, the stuff does get heard, whether it gets acted on is a different story. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an interesting point that you bring up when you say, does it rise to the level of, we have seen the cards that quote unquote rise to the level of, um, we saw paradox engine get banned, uh, back in 2019. We also saw flash getting banned in 2020. Uh, now part of the reason for the flash ban was, uh, because of Thassa's Oracle. It wasn't mm -hmm. only because of it, yep. but uh, it made it, if you will, it exacerbated the flash problem. So give me a scenario or the situation where Thassa's Oracle doesn't meet the requirements of a ban where something like flash does in the context of what you just said. One person mm -hmm. says, flash isn't one isn't a problem. I never saw a flash problem. And the CEDH meta said, flash is destroying us. You know, maybe mm -hmm. not that dramatic, but yeah. you know. Oh, it, it was that dramatic, right? Yeah, okay, that and some. I, I was trying to defend my feet. It's like we were, I swear our hair wasn't on fire. I swear it wasn't. We have such, we have such good hindsight. Anyway, yeah. so but it, it was, it was definitely those things. Yeah. Um, you know, why was it that flash definitely had that dichotomy and, you know, you're saying maybe Thassa's Oracle, even with that dichotomy, maybe doesn't rise to that occasion. Talk to me a little yeah, bit about that. It's a great question. It's a really good question. So in terms of um, Flash specifically, I, I would say that there were two elements that were present with Flash that really aren't present with Thassa's Oracle. The first one is um, it was an order of magnitude better than anything else you could possibly play in the format, right? Like, mm -hmm. You know, Thassa's Oracle, when people are talking about, oh, you have to have your, your shields up by like turn two, turn three, with Flash, it was like, you might not be able to counter somebody's turn two ad nauseum because somebody will win at instant speed in response to your counter spell because you've tapped out. Um, it was like, you have to have shields up turn one. 
you had to like aggressively mulligan to the point where you either had interaction or a way to like represent a win from like turn one onwards. It was the first best, but like it was a distant second. Um, so that's a, that's the first thing is that, you know, yes, it was the best, but it was also so clearly the best that there was no point playing anything else. If you wanted to have a chance of winning the game. Um, and one thing that you'll notice is that some of the other members of CAG, I remember Shivam saying this once, uh, on Twitter. Um, he told me that I don't like when I play in metas where I feel like I have to play stuff I don't enjoy to have a chance of doing anything. So for him, that stacks, you know, I don't want to paraphrase too much or, or, you know, represent his opinions too much, but for him, that stacks. He's like, I don't want to play in, a, in an environment where I feel like I have to play stacks or lose, right? And so with Flash Hulk, it was like, I don't really want to play Flash Hulk, but if I don't play Flash Hulk, then that's the only way that I can beat Flash Hulk. So it's like lose forever or play Flash Hulk. And those are your two options, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's the first thing that I feel is substantially different than Thassa's Oracle. I don't think that Thassa's Oracle is that much better than everything else. But I do think that Flash Hulk was that much better than everything else. And this is borne out in other formats too, right? Like it's restricted in vintage. It's pointed in Highlander to the point where you can't play anything else that's powerful. Like it's um, banned in Legacy. It's it's like, it's that good, right? And and we've known this since both cards were available, right? Like what, where was Hulk printed? Dissension? Dissension. Right? So like we've known this from Dissension, that this is like one of the most busted things you can do in the history of Magic. Um, the second thing is that I think that the community dynamic is substantially different than it used to be. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I can get your thoughts on this as well, but I feel like the divide between CEDH and the rest of the commander community is not quite as wide and not quite as pronounced as it used to be. Um, when, when things were really bad there were lots of people like talking about splitting the format. Like it was a, a very frequent topic on the CEDH subreddit. Um, there were lots of people, you know, saying, well, you know, if this keeps up, I'm going to quit magic because I don't like playing Flash Hulk and there's no other options for me. Right. A lot of people did quit magic. Like I'm not going to name names, but they'd be names you recognize. Um, it was pretty bad. Uh, and I don't see a lot of those really toxic, negative hallmarks of a real social problem in the community that needs action. You know, I think for the most part, people's gripes about, you know, Thassa's Oracle are probably on par with, if, if I can draw, you know, an analog to the rest of EDH, it's probably more like, you know, I don't like it when somebody, I don't know wheels with smothering tithe out, right? I know that's a CDH mm -hmm. thing as well, but like, it's not going to force people out of the format. You know, it's, it's bad, but it's not like that bad, you know? So I, I don't know, like, what do you think? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. So I think that, um, I was definitely there during some of the tumultuous times of CDH. Uh, our channel started in 2019. Uh, just a, a, a smidge after you guys, mm -hmm. I think you guys started in 18. Yeah, it was like late 18. Remember. It was like within a couple months. Yeah. 
Yeah, we were very close together. Um, and the only reason I bring this up is because we were there through Paradox mm -hmm. Band. We were there through uh, Flash Band. And one of the things that I would regularly see on the comments of our videos was that toxicity. Yep. Um, you know, we used to get very hateful comments on our own videos, which was clearly designated as CEDH gameplay that says things like CDH is a cancer mm -hmm. to EDH. This is, you know, this is the worst thing to happen to magic and just really vile things that they would say to us for just having fun the way we wanted to have yep. fun. Really what it boils down to those types of things don't exist yep. anymore. The counterpoint to that is this. Those types of things are now being said about Thassa's Oracle. About Thassa's Oracle. Like this is a cancer mm -hmm. on the format yep. or yep. really? This is, this, is, this is ruining the format. This is a cancer on the format. This is boring. I hate seeing this card. They need to ban Thassa's Oracle. Uh, not, not, not necessarily saying CDH is bad or anything like that, but more of that, that vitriol, if mm -hmm. you will, of you know, this is bad. I don't, you know, I don't like this, that those negative mm -hmm. comments and stuff like that we are seeing now not directed at CEDH anymore, you know, for lack of a better word, I, I, I totally agree with you. Like they, I don't see that divide anymore. I don't see that divide of people saying CEDH is bad and I hate everyone who plays in it. I don't see that that's gone. And I think mm -hmm. that's great. I think that's wonderful. But I am starting to see that kind of stuff with that. So Oracle. tell me, you've you've taken some action on CDH recently, or on on Thassa's Oracle recently on your channel, haven't you? Yes, we have. So uh, one of the things that we keep seeing over and over again is basically those those comments, and we listen to our our you know our viewers, we listen to our subscribers, we listen to our patrons, and um, we will see very frequently people saying. I'm going to stop watching these videos. I already know mm -hmm. how it's going to end. You'll, you'll actually see comments like that on our videos. And eventually we got to the point and we did a little bit of quote unquote auditing, if you will. I'm like, is Thassa's Oracle becoming as ubiquitous as maybe everyone's saying it should be? Or, you know, as maybe everyone without being mean, just, you know, yep. are they overreacting yep. a little bit? <clears throat> so all the way up to our 50th episode, we had seen a total of three Thassa's mm -hmm. Oracle wins on the channel. Um, we recently just had our 100th episode. Mm, congratulations. Kind of cool, you know? Yeah, thanks. It's been a long mm. road. So. <laughs> but, but it's been a good road. Um, but anyway, from so the first 50 had three. The next 50 uh, had a far greater number. We were talking almost a saturation in our ninth and 10th mm. seasons where almost every single win was a Thassa's Oracle win. So when you used to see things like, oh, hey, you know, they did a Silvala bro storm thing and won. Now it's just like, well, let me just scan to the end of the video and oh, yep, there's Thassa's Oracle. Yeah. I know how the game's going to end. And we have people doing that now. And so what we've decided to do is not necessarily ban Thassa's Oracle in our local playgroup, but encourage more diversification mm -hmm. of win cons in our pods. Now, that is not to say that we are taking Grix's color pairings and intentionally removing Thassa's Oracle or, you know, cutting it off at the knees or anything like that. If Thassa's Oracle is the best win con in a deck, we mm -hmm. are going to play it. We're not going to nerf it for no reason. That kind of... That's not what CDH is supposed to be. Most powerful cards, you know? Um, but what we are going to do is we are going to try to play strategies and decks that you might not mm -hmm. see as much. Um, so we're going to get away from the Tevish Kroms, if you will, and go into more of the Dinas 
you know, go into more of maybe Anya's, go into some, you know, like Urza Polytyrant that mm-hmm. doesn't run fast as Oracle because it needs to yep. get Tidespout Tyrant out. So we're gonna we're starting to run more of those types of things to show the world that CEDH isn't just mm-hmm. fast as Oracle wins. Because um, I think it's maybe creating a disproportionate uh, image of maybe what the CDH meta is composed of. You know, it's like, oh, it's just yeah, all fast. That makes a lot of sense. So. Um, are you finding that? Because there's, there's a weird tension, right? And I know this as a, as a content creator, right? There's a weird tension between wanting to showcase a specific style of play and keeping things fresh, which is obviously what you were just describing, right? Like it's it's tough mm-hmm. when you're putting out weekly gameplay. It can be really tough to come up with four decks every week, right? It's it's like a fool's errand to think that you're going to come up with four different decks every week forever. You can't do that. They're just like it's it's not even that there aren't enough decks in the format, but it's that it takes time, right? Like you've got to research the deck, you've got to figure out how to play it, you've got to actually physically assemble the deck in paper cards and then you know if you maybe even you might have a chance to goldfish it a couple times or play a game off camera with it with your buds um so like but if you want to show a specific style of gameplay that's really dependent on being an expert you know in a particular style of magic you've got to be familiar with the deck right you don't want it to be the first time you've ever played the Mm -hmm. deck and then miss a line and get raked over the coals in the comments for you know missing something obvious right um or not yeah, or not knowing how a, a weird niche <laughs> yeah. card works because you've never played it before or something like that, you know? Um, but there is that really weird tension. Have you have you noticed... Uh, maybe I'm interviewing you here. That's fine. <laughs> have you noticed I'll, I'll a change... Get, I'll get in the hot seat. Have That's you noticed fine. a change in tone since since making that change? Yes. Um, uh, I would say that uh, commenters uh, on our YouTube videos and people give us feedback have gone from aggravated to enraged. They're, they're enraged that you're not playing it now. No, that we are. Oh, that you are We're still playing because we we for those of you who don't know we we actually we don't record it the week before mm-hmm. and publish it the week after. We actually have a backlog that we go through to make sure that we have consistent gameplay for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I say that we announce something at the beginning of May, it won't maybe reflect until the end of June. Mm-hmm. So I say you know look out for this in the near future. Look out for this in June sometime or something like that. And so once I make an announcement, people think okay he made that announcement on Monday, Friday I should see that change. Yep. So it went from aggravation to rage Mm. like people are like i guess maybe they became more aware or conscious of it and they were like this is just this is infuriating i hate fastest oracle people are starting to use words like hate and despise Mm. and you know not just oh fastest oracle again i hate fastest oracle now so it's getting it's getting a lot more heated if you will yeah that's interesting that's it's really interesting to see the progression of that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, it it can be really tough to balance um, a large format based on feedback from the most invested people, right? Mm-hmm. And we know that, like, I'm not even going to say that there's a ton of people that like don't even go on the internet and talk about Commander, but the the type of person that's moved to make a YouTube comment. Um, pro or against even what they're watching that is even a different class of of engagement as an average youtube viewer right like when i think of the way that i engage with content i'll engage with content make a comment when i want to you know juice the algorithm a little bit for something that i really enjoyed right 
just because I've got a little bit of a, you know, peek behind the scenes on how that sort of thing works. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would say that there's like a huge, huge proportion of people. Like is if you think like our last video got, I don't know how many views, but it maybe got like a couple dozen comments, but compared to the thousands of views that it got, right? Like we're talking 1% of the people that watched our video commented. And then the number of people that watched our video is like way less than 1% of the total number of people that might be interested. And then that's less than 1% of the greater commander community, right? Or even the greater Correct. CDH community. Mm -hmm. So it can be kind of tough because you don't know, uh, are the people like, obviously there's a, there's a, a bias in place where the people that are more uh, likely to comment are more likely to have extreme reactions one way or another, right? We just know that mm -hmm. that's how commenting works, right? Nobody's going to comment and say, everything is great. Thank you for this comment, this content. I feel totally neutral about it, right? Um, that's when you mark it as spam because you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, but you don't know, like, I guess it's interesting to see the change over time because that is something that you can measure, right? Like, and that's not, you know, just the number of comments that you're getting. It's the number and nature of the comments is changing over time. So, I mean, good on you for taking action on it. Do you think that the nature of the comments is going to change after those games start seeing the light of the day, the, the post fastest Oracle meta games? One thing I want to make definitely clear is that we are not banning fastest Oracle forever. Mm -hmm. We're not banning fastest Oracle. We're just going to spice it up for a little bit. If, and if fastest Oracle is in a deck, it's going to get played. Yep. We're not going to nerf ourselves. We're not going to change things. And we will go back to Grixis decks that have fastest Oracle in them. People want to see those just because some people don't doesn't mean that we're only listening to that part. Um, one of the things that we want to do is hear all sides of it. And what we do see is we see people on YouTube in our comments and stuff like that. But we also have people on our Patreon, our Discord. Um, and it's really interesting because I would say that those are very invested oh, yeah. players too. And they actually usually cry the exact opposite. They say, no, Thassa's Oracle is great. I love the journey, not yep. the destination. You know, it's, you know, and... I want to see how he managed to fight through that, he or she did, uh, and they like to see those types of things. And a lot of the people in our Discord do not want Thassa's Oracle mm -hmm. gone. They want it to stay around. And, you know, I'm I'm fine with Thassa's Oracle too, and I just want to make sure that everybody's getting a little yeah. something out of it. I do think that in the very beginning, I would say within the first three to five episodes, people are going to be like, so glad Thassa's Oracle wasn't in this episode. Uh, so glad that Thoracle didn't win for once because we see those on videos we already do have mm -hmm. that don't win through Thassa's Oracle. Five episodes in, everyone will have yeah. forgotten about it. Yeah. That's just how it is. And, and, and that's okay too. I'm not saying that that's bad or I'm not insulting anybody here. I'm saying that that is the nature yeah, of the beast. I think that's very you know, They start to see cool new strategies. They start to see cool new things. And I, I see that it will become a lingering mm -hmm. past thing. And that's what I think is going to happen from. Or you'll get flagged like we did as uh, not not real CEDH. <laughs> no, that's fun. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, some people did definitely say that to us uh -huh. when we said we weren't going to use Thassa's Oracle. They interpreted it as we're going to take Grixis decks mm -hmm. and nerf them and cut oh, them off I at know. the knees. Ryan, I've walked this path now. before. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have one last question for you. 
what do, what do you think is the likelihood? And this is this is just like I have not talked to anybody about this. What do you think that the likelihood is that there will be something that is fastest Oracle level of game breaking released into the format in the next two years? New card. Um, I think that it's not a question of if; it's a question of yeah. when and how many. So, so that um, being said, yeah. Um, how comfortable would you be having? two bands a year in EDH. I think that a band list is meant to be there for a reason. I think a band should not be just a quota to meet. Like, oh, you should mm -hmm. have X amount of bands to ensure the health of a format. I think a band just needs to be as many as necessary to ensure the health. So I don't think it, me personally, has anything to do with the number per year. If we need to ban two cards a year, if we need to ban 10 cards a year to ensure the health of a format, that's fine. I would. Um, I don't think that we should have a situation where you, you know, oh, well, we've had five in five years or we've had zero in three years. And that should say something about necessarily the health or not. Yeah, I, I would probably challenge you a little bit on that. I, I don't think that. Uh, I, I would agree. I don't think that it's a quota. I don't think it's like, oh, we haven't banned anything this year. Well, let's take a look what's on the menu, you know? Um, but I would say mm -hmm. that the number of bands per year says something about the stability of the format. And I think that that's something that is important in its own right. Um, and stability, I, I, stability is probably the wrong word because um, the format has shaken up quite a bit. I'm not talking CDH. I'm, I'm talking EDH in general, right? If you look at EDH rec, mm -hmm. new decks that are being built are pre predominantly made with new cards, which really suggests that there's probably a, an effective turnover in the format of about 18 months, right? Um, in terms of if you were to look at the top 10 cards played today, compared to the top 10 cards two years ago, I would say the list might be totally different. Um, you know, because mm -hmm. there's obviously there's the pre-con effect, like you can listen to EDH recast and, and they talk all about that stuff, right? But um, mm -hmm. it's stability is probably the wrong word. I think probably predictability is maybe a better word because I, I can tell you that I don't update my own personal decks that often. I have maybe 20 decks assembled. I play them on streams occasionally and all that kind of thing. I really don't update them that much. Yeah. 20. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big, um, like I've got a filing cabinet so. that's down here next to me. And one of the drawers is just full of decks. Right. Cool. And, um, I like there are some of these decks that I haven't updated in six or seven years, you know, but I know that I can grab that deck and I can pull it out and I can say, I'm going to play this tonight. And it's the same deck that it was seven years ago. You know, it might be a little bit worse against whatever I might play against, but I've got two decks that are uh, in the other room that are Camlander decks. And I know that a hundred percent, I cannot pull those out and play those against somebody in a pickup game of Camlander because point values change and it shakes up the format and it changes what decks you can play. So I know now that I've got two decks in there that are not playable in the format. So I would have to go in, if I haven't played a game of Canlander in a year, I would have to go in, learn the new point values, maybe look up a couple deck lists, go and buy some new cards or, or print some proxies or whatever you want to do. I would have to update those lists before I could play them again. And that's something that you don't run into in Commander. Um, and I think that that's a very valuable trait of the format is that it's predictable, is that if I'm somebody that ca only engages casually with the format, might only play with my friends once a month, that my deck is going to be legal next month and the month after that and the month after that and the month after that, 
in perpetuity, you know? And it's an extreme corner case that one of my cards in my deck is going to get banned. I think that's a really good point. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of people don't think about, myself included, is, you know, the idea that I can pull out a time capsule, for lack of a better word. And it, you know, no one even really calling into question, well, you know, is that even going to be legal right now at this pod? It's going to be like, yeah, maybe if we run into a card and you just didn't know it, um, maybe you'll have that situation present itself. But this is not a rotating format. You're right. It's an eternal format. The cards are in and they stay in forever. And the idea of being very judicious with the bannings, I do think is a good thing. Um, however, I also think that being being maybe ban adverse is a good thing as well to having to make sure that, well, just because people are knee jerk reacting to something because they don't like it, uh, you know, Hull Breacher comes to mind. Draneth Magistrate comes to mind. A lot of people are like, oh, this is Ban Hammer. This, this, this Mixed is Blue Mansion. Don't even put it in your decks. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm old. So I, I know, I remember the days when people were like, I'm telling you guys, this Deadeye Navigator has to go. This Jeweled is Lotus, like the Opposition Act. Agent, Turgrid. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's every set people come to me and say this needs to get banned and i'm like you know what talk to me in a year like it's it's not going to be a format threatening problem in a year you know and if it is then we should talk about it <laughs> you know um like profit acrufix got like yeah. 18 months paradox engine got a year in the format you know and like you know depending on where you fall and whether those were actually necessary it's extremely unlikely that things get banned in the first year that they're released like there's a couple major exceptions, Lutri obviously being the major one, um, but Lutri is a substantially different card than anything we're talking about. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it's very unique and introduced a very unique mechanic to the game yeah. that we hadn't seen before. Uh, Wishes was the only thing that even remotely came yeah. close. Well, do I have thoughts about that? <laughs> that's that's maybe a fodder for another <laughs> podcast, but uh, yeah. Probably, yeah, that's true. But I think the I think what you approach with is is very good. I I do like that aspect, and I didn't even know I liked that aspect. I have casual decks that mm -hmm. I've had together since 2014, and I do look at new sets as they come out. But that deck has gotten to the point where it is so optimized that I will probably only put in yeah. one card a year into that deck. So effectively, it's mm -hmm. it is you know an old old deck. And I, I, I don't, I do take for granted the idea that oh, I'm like, well, it rotated out or is something banned? I better go check the latest ban list. Um, and that is something that's very astute that I'd never thought of before. I, I really do like that concept and yeah. I do take it. Yeah, for granted. It's, uh, right. it's sort of one of the, the major, you kind of got to consider how, how different people engage with the game. Cause like for me, uh, I, I make a big show about how, you know, I can't pull out that Canlander deck. I can go and slot any card into that Canlander deck and whatever. I've got, you know, a collection of 40,000 cards that I can go and, you know, pull open the drawers to this dresser that I have in my spare room and find a card to put in there. But there are a lot of people that engage with magic, like other people in, engage with board games, you know, like, I own Settlers of Catan, but I don't play it four times a week, right? I own Scythe, but I don't play it, you know, mm -hmm. three times a day for an entire four-day weekend on location in a foreign city, right? Like, I'm 
on the extreme end of magic engagement. But there are a lot of people that get together with their friends. Like they might be our age, you know, mid thirties or whatever, and they get together with their friends and they've got kids and they've got life responsibilities and they carve out three hours a month to do board game stuff. Right. And magic might not even be the only thing that they play. Mm -hmm. So it is important to consider the fact that for a large spectrum of engagement that these changes can have varying impacts, you know? And kind of bringing that right back around to Thassa's Oracle, we see ourselves in situations where we're seeing these cards come into play and they're changing all the time. And like you had said, Thassa's Oracle is kind of our first best, if you will. And seeing this first best strategy and some of the the different reactions that it causes, depending upon the community that you're in, uh, can kind of cause certain things to shift depending upon uh, depending on certain fac factors. Um, this would be things like your local meta. Um, you know, just because the CDH decklist database exists, which is a valuable resource, and I absolutely love it, doesn't mean that that's all people play. It's just a really good mm -hmm. jumping off point for you to understand what the CDH meta kind of looks like, what the very top end, what to expect, yeah, what to expect right? going like, in. Rep, mm -hmm. Rebel put out a video um, that kind of I, I thought was a really great and interesting way to define EDH, and that was a good faith uh, engagement. Like if you are making a good faith effort to engage with what CEDH generally looks like, right? Like just having a powerful deck, that's not CDH, right? Like if you're not prepared for Thassa's Oracle on turn three, then it's pretty rough to call yourself a CEDH deck because like, what are you going to do? Somebody at the table might be playing Thassa's Oracle and then you're going to play out, you're going to tap out on turn three and you're going to lose. Um, but if you're making a good faith effort to engage with what could generally be expected from a CDH table, then that's, you're playing a CDH deck, even if it's not on the decklist database. And like, as an example, Elliot still plays like from our group still plays food chain Prosh, right? Like it's not the best food chain commander, but it's his favorite food chain commander. And I think that that's generally the case quite frequently outside of the most engaged <coughs> communities outside of the, uh, you know, the discords and Twitter and, Reddit and all that kind of stuff. There's tons of people out there that, you know, might be playing Teferi, um, Chainvale, Teferi, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. Chainvale, you know, there might be people playing all of these decks from CDH's like not so distant past mm -hmm. just because like they didn't want to pay $700 to build a new deck when something better came out, you know, they just didn't really feel the need. It wasn't worth that to them. We actually get those questions all the time. We actually have people that will DM us or talk to us in the Discord and say, hey, I'm really thinking about building Jorah. Is, you think Jorah is, is worthy of CDH? And I said, and I, and I will usually tell them, I said, that that's actually not how, uh, the best way to put it is maybe that CDH is not this list on a website, it's, it's a mindset. It's an approach to play. Yep. Um, you know, you do have to come in with a certain mindset. You do have to come in with a certain deck. And just because Joyra was played in the past and isn't played now, doesn't mean Joyra isn't CEDH. It doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that she fell into casual territory. It just means that people like playing with new toys. That's what it is, mm -hmm. you know? Commander Legends came out, yeah. you know? Everyone likes to yep. play with the new toys. Yeah. And I think like, uh, there's actually, I think, a, maybe not a measurable effect, but it's something that I've observed in the past. And that's that um, 
trendiness and effectiveness are not always correlated, you know? Um, like there are quite frequently trends in the CDH community that are caused by, let's say, charismatic deck builders that hype their decks up really well, you know? And they're, they're not like the most effective thing that you can be doing, but they start a trend, right? Like people on the CDH subreddit every once in a while ask about my bears and cars deck. And it's objectively not the best thing that you can be doing in Esper colors. I know that mm -hmm. I, I play that deck cause I like it. And, uh, like people ask about that, but it's, it's not so much because it's like the best thing you can be doing. It's because I've got a large megaphone and I talk about this deck every once in a while and people like the name, you know? Um, so I think that there's an effect there as well, where, you know, you, sometimes you end up with these popular decks that people play because for, for reasons that are not gameplay reasons, you know? Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I totally 100% agree. It's not like a stamp of approval that you get where you're like, yeah, this is a CDH deck now, right? It's got a C on the deck box, you know? Exactly. Um, it's it's more like, you know, going into a game knowing full well what is going to be coming your way and being prepared for it, mm -hmm. right? Making the choices in deck building and in gameplay that will maximize your chances of having a good game against that. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that's why I think that budget and things like that belong in CEDH. Um, and because I think people get into the trappings of, oh, well, you're not playing with the most powerful cards in this format, you're no longer playing CEDH. Uh, maybe it's mm -hmm. high power. Be like, no, that's actually not true. You're, yeah. you're going in with this mindset. And that is why you can bring a budget deck to a full powered, you know, budget list, CEDH table, and still be playing CEDH, you know? Yeah. And, you know, there's a bunch of different nuances to something like that, but that doesn't mean you're not playing CDH. And that's yeah. really the takeaway, in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So when it comes to things like deck building and it comes to how we're assembling these from a CDH capacity, we're obviously talking about the first best win con, which is Thassa's Oracle. What do you feel about when certain things warp around or the perception of warping around a certain card slash win con. Do you think that that is something that should be taken note of? Uh, do you think that that's something that might have to do with something that could warrant something like bans or otherwise? Because CDH and Thassa's Oracle definitely have had that warping effect. Um, mm -hmm. We see Thassa's Oracle as ubiquitous as first best. What do you say to somebody who says, maybe Thassa's Oracle should get banned because it's format warping, which is a very common reasoning why someone would say a ban should come about. Yeah, I, I would say that it's probably more common than people would think that something can be format warping, right? Like when something leaves the format, something will move in to fill the void that it creates, right? Like when you ended up with, um, like when Flash left, the format was filled by Thassa's Oracle. Thassa's Oracle was already out when, when Flash was banned um, and Thassa's Oracle moved in in a big way. And then, you know, Ad Nauseam got a little bit better and a little bit better over time, but that was mostly just general deck building improvements and a few key tools that got added to the toolbox. But um, it's, it's a case of playing whack-a-mole, right? Like you're not going to whack Thassa's Oracle and end up with even meta share across seven unique distinct play styles, right? 
it's going to be you whack fast as Oracle. The next best thing is what people flock to. And then that will get progressively better over time until people start talking about that one, right? It is, it is something that was actually mentioned in the ban announcement for Flash was, you know, we're not going to be playing whack-a-mole with the first best strategies in the format. Like it wasn't like, so to give you a little bit of, of insight into those discussions um, pre-Flash ban, there was a, a point where, um, you know, somebody asked, is this going to be the case, right? Are we always going to be looking at the next best thing and saying, does this need to be removed from the format for the health of the format? And, you know, uh, one person said, you know, this'll just be the one that we're asking for. Like, just give us this one and we'll be on our way. We'll stop bugging you. And, you know, I took a, a slightly different approach to it. I said, you know, I, I don't think that that's the right way to approach this. I don't, I don't like the idea of saying like, this is the everybody gets one scenario for CEDH. I think that if we acknowledge the fact that CEDH is EDH and that the play experience of CEDH players matters, then we've established that flash is a problem that needs to be dealt with. And if something else like flash comes up in the future, then we should similarly deal with that. Um, I, I think that if we've established those like, um, uh, those factors as the reason why we care about flash, then it's not unreasonable to say in the future, if something else is similarly a very, very serious format warping problem, then that's something we should look at. I don't think that fast Oracle rises to that level, um, for the reasons that we talked about earlier, but, um, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that it could eat a ban. I think that if it's a real problem, we establish that it's a problem that it should eat a ban, but I, I just don't see it rising to that level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when sometimes people talk about format warping, we talk about sometimes running suboptimal cards, suboptimal strategies to counteract that. And they see that as a format warping aspect. Um, we frequently see that all the time when people talk about countering Thassa's Oracle, I'm going to quote unquote, play a suboptimal card in order to combat Thassa's Oracle. A uh, quick example would be the card that you just mentioned that, you know, I'm going to play this card that is going to keep me from losing mm -hmm. versus help me win. Mm -hmm. uh, a quick, uh, uh, examples of that are the one from Modern Horizons, which completely dress down me at the moment, which is dress down. Yep. Uh, another one is uh, Angel's Grace. Mm -hmm. Another one is Stifle. Yep. Uh, these are all cards that do not help you win they prevent you from losing and some people would consider that to be a something i'm going to play the suboptimal strategy i'm warping the format around this card uh, what do you say to people who or what are your thoughts on the idea of people having to adjust to this win condition i actually think it's kind of interesting we we have not released this episode yet but uh, on my podcast on spike on the mic we recently interviewed um nikachu a little bit of a plug there do you catch that it was subtle i know um we check it out now. <laughs> available wherever you get your podcasts we um yeah. we interviewed uh nikachu the merfolk master um who is a winnipeg local here and we were talking about the impact of modern horizons on the modern meta uh, and kind of, you know, grabbing some, um, some EDH lessons from that. Hmm. And one of the things that he said was when Splinter Twin was banned, um, after, well, sorry, Splinter Twin was banned and then in modern and then Aldrazi kind of rose to power and then they banned Eye of Ugin. And after that, it was like the wild west. 
And he said one of the things that it really caused a problem when it came to prepping for events was that the meta became a lot less predictable. So rather than having one like ridiculously unfair deck that you could tech against, you now had like eight and they all interacted on different axes and it made it really difficult to sort of tune your interaction to deal with it. So I think one of the sort of un like one of the things that people don't really talk about is if we were to ban Thassa's Oracle, that it may actually end up speeding up games because people will have less tailored interaction to any given win condition, um, which is like maybe not the effect that they wanted to have, but it's something to think about for sure. Um, it's something that I had definitely never considered until I listened to this interview with Nikachu. But the way that he was talking about it was that a lot of the people that were going to modern tournaments and stuff like that, it wasn't necessarily a positive thing, right? Now you had to worry about affinity pulling in one direction and dredge pulling in the other, right? Rather than just having to worry about Splinter Twin. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's an interesting thought. It, it's something that I haven't really worked through in my brain yet, but uh, this is just recent within the past week um, that I even thought about this, but... That's a really interesting point, and, and I, I mean, it, I think it's really difficult to ascertain whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, because some people will say from yeah. a CEDH and EDH approach uh, that variety is good. You know, it allows for variance. I like my games to be different, and other people would say that it's bad. Uh, hey, you know, I can't really tech quote unquote, if you will, because I can't sideboard in EDH. I got to pack it in the 99 if I want to stop it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so like, I don't want to pack Torpor Orb yep. if ETBs of things like Thassa's Oracle isn't a problem in my meta. It's a dead card in my deck. Um, whereas things like sideboards existing yep. allows you to create those types of things. But that also gets into something like more of a local meta situation. Because really at the end of the day, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean... EDH commander tournaments, they are still in their infancy. They really are. We have established, you know, ways and approaches that we take care of magic tournaments. And a lot of those don't always translate one for one into a commander tournament. And so there's a lot of places where people are still figuring mm -hmm. this stuff out. And we're still trying to figure out from a commander tournament perspective, whether or not something like this is a good or bad thing. If I know Thassa's Oracle is coming, that's great because if I'm going to a tournament setting, I can tech against it. The Splinter Twin conversation you had. Um, but if it's so wide mm -hmm. open that I don't necessarily know how to uh, interact or tech with this, that's going to create a much more, um, it's going to create a very, a very, like you said, Wild West situation going into a tournament scene. And generally pushes people that into really fast combo, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you have the one person who maybe was fortunate enough to guess and or maybe had some insight into saying, I think people are going to play fast combo. I'm going to directly target fast combo, you know, anti, if you will, just tech against that. And that person usually comes out on top, um, which is actually very interesting. But local metas don't always work that way. Local metas are cultivated communities that work over time. Some people will use negative connotations like this is an arms race. You build this, I build that, you race up, I, I, I escalate, so on and so forth. And other people will see it as more of cultivation. Uh, you know, hey, this deck didn't work, this deck did, this deck works with your deck, 
you know, that's over here, but maybe not with another deck. And I'll bring out this one for against that specific one. And there's a lot of cultivation that goes on in local metas. So do we feel, or maybe do you feel that sometimes your local meta uh, can help to counteract maybe the effects on Dasa's Oracle? Or maybe a question could be, is local meta considerations what you think about when talking about whether or not to ban something like Dasa's Oracle? Yeah, and at a format level, that's the preferred solution for everything. Everything that you can imagine under the sun that could be a problem in the format. The preferred solution is use your words and talk to people about it, right? And so as an example, right, like what you described in terms of, you know, there, there might be slightly different motivations that aren't necessarily universal, but what you described in terms of uh, changing the way that you use Thassa's Oracle or include it in your decks, um, that is an example of a, a local meta solution to a problem, right? And that's, uh, you know, that happened in our playgroup with Flash, our, our local playgroup, the Spike Peters, we didn't have a problem with Flash. It, it really wasn't a problem. We only had one person that ran it. It was my brother, Bill. He ran it in one deck and that was it. He really liked the deck and it didn't win like 80% of our games. It maybe won slightly more than his fair share of 25%. Um, but it also wasn't the only deck that he played. So, you know, there are certain metas where this kind of stuff will self-police. There are certain metas where people can talk to you know, if you've got a problem with it at your store, you can talk to the store owner and say, hey, can we like maybe shake things up and call it a no fastest Oracle night like once a month or something like that so we can play other stuff? Like it's not unheard of. And I don't think that it's also, I don't think that it's not CEDH either um, to say like, I want to shake things up and not play this deck. Or, you know, you might have a play group where you say, well, we'll I'll pull out our fastest Oracle decks and jam them against each other and see who wins and then put them away and pull out our second best decks and see how those do, you know, it doesn't have to be like, it doesn't have to be, unless you're volunteering for it, it doesn't have to be all fast as Oracle all the time. There are ways that you can introduce variety into your gameplay. If you're thoughtful about it and you're open about your play preferences with the people yeah, you play that's with. That's really interesting. And I definitely agree with that. So let's bring Thassa's Oracle all the way back around and let's talk about the card itself just a little bit more. How do you feel that Thassa's Oracle is from a design direction standpoint. When you look at Thassa's Oracle and what they, what Wizards puts out for a magic product, do you think that this is a good direction, a bad direction, maybe nothing at all? What are your thoughts on Thassa's Oracle's indication of design going forward? I'm not gonna lie to you, it does concern me a little bit. I, I do see some overarching um, design patterns and maybe Thassa's Oracle is part of this, maybe it's not. I see it more in commander-focused products where, like, you know, what you when you compared it to Coalition Victory earlier, this is kind of like the core of what I'm about to talk about. And that's that I sometimes see more daylight in between R&D's vision for what they want Commander to be and the Rules Committee's vision for what they want Commander to be. And... I wish those were in lockstep all the time because then the stuff that we would be getting printed would not be particularly problematic for the format, right? Like you wouldn't end up with a card like, I don't know, Leovold, right? Because from the rules committee's perspective, that creates a miserable, miserable play experience, right? Like, 
okay, you've stripped everybody's hands and now you're going to goldfish for 40 turns until you kill people with a 2-2, you know, or a 3-3 three, three, or whatever Leopold is. Um, so if if the, the design philosophies for R&D and, and the Rules Committee were in lockstep, we probably wouldn't have had Lutri. I don't think we would have had Leopold. I think that we probably wouldn't have a lot of the problematic stuff that we have in the format right now. I think maybe Turgrid might be different. I think probably Hull Breacher would be a trigger instead of a replacement effect. Like, I don't think we would see Jeweled Lotus. Like, I think that there's a lot of stuff that somebody with an eye for maintaining the the philosophy of the format would have put the brakes on earlier in design. Uh, and it wouldn't be to the rules committee to clean up after it, so to speak. I don't think that all of them are going to be like format breaking. I don't think that there's a problem with Jewel Lotus or anything like that. But I do see a pattern in those cards of R&D exploring areas that maybe an experienced EDH player would say, maybe we should leave that door closed for now, you know? And so Fast Oracles may be a part of that. Obviously it was released in a standard set. And some of the stuff that I that I talked about was also released in standard sets like Lutri. Um, I think that it's important for them to be able to design and innovate for standard in a way that they shouldn't be scared of the rules committee banning it. But I also think that when you've got cards that are designed for commander or primarily with a commander audience in mind, that maybe you should think about whether that is a type of card that might get banned in Commander, you know? Um, so I do have some concerns. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's it's something that I don't really know what to do about. I don't know what's coming in the next two years. I do know that, like, even if they were to decide that they're going in the wrong direction today, it would take them two years to course correct because a lot of this packaged uh, product is already packaged. Um so I, I don't know where the direction is going. It does make me a little bit nervous. I don't think that it's bad enough for me to quit magic and pack up shop, but it concerns me for sure. It's not going to keep me up at night, but I, I don't, I'm not like full throated. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. So it's, you, you would know? say maybe it's a little bit more of a back burner issue, not necessarily a front burner, you know? Yeah. Like it's definitely the kind of thing where if I have the opportunity to talk to people that are involved in, in card design and commander design and that kind of thing, people like Gavin Verhey, Glenn Jones, it's the kind of thing that I'm likely to bring up in conversation and be like, Hey, I don't think this was great. Or on the flip side, I do think this is really great. Like, you know, uh, one of the uh, cards that I really loved that I, I said to Gavin recently was Urza Saga. That's the kind of stuff that's just like weird and wacky and does crazy stuff. You know, I love that stuff for commander. That's my personal preference. Um, stuff like Brina, where they create downsides for cards that are actually upsides for your opponents. That's maybe not a CDH thing, but I think that that's really positive card design direction for them to explore. And there's a ton of it to explore. Like, I don't think there's a lack of directions to go in a healthy direction, you know? Um, it's the kind of thing where I, I would probably bring it up in conversation if they ha if I have the opportunity to talk to them about this kind of thing. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's a, more of a back burner thing. I've definitely noticed uh, a lot of things have been happening over the last two years that I would definitely say is concerning too when it comes to design philosophy specifically for Commander. So I'm not talking about standard mm -hmm. sets because you know, like you said, that's where Thassa's Oracle came from. And I would say that it has to do with things like Commander products, Commander Legends, the Commander Precons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
Although I will say that I see the ripple effects finally starting to take effect because like you said, everything is on a two year feedback, echo feedback. Like, Hey, we mm-hmm. hear you about card drawn white or whatever, or white's quote unquote weaknesses. We hear you, you know, uh, we're yep. going to start working on it. Well, we're not just going to make a fix all problems in one set with white. We're not going to just create, yeah. you know, 40 bangers right here and just completely break the set because it's just white. Um, it's it's got to be something that rolls out over time, but once again, it takes time to do. So it looks like they're just not listening, when in fact that they are, it just takes a really long time to turn it around. I see yeah. that reflected in C21. C21 mm-hmm. was a fantastic set. Oh, yeah. It was so good. Like, maybe one of the best commander sets, like, sets of decks ever. Actually, that Alibu deck, the Boro, like, the yes. Lorehold deck, straight out of the box, that is a banger of Amazing. an EDH deck. And they're all great. I love yep. that the Golgari deck is not just Golgari, good stuff, let's bring stuff from the grave yep. and do Golgari. No, let's actually do some Witherbloom things. Let's talk, let's work with food and let's work with all these things. Yeah. And, and it's like, wow, you know, Golgari or Witherbloom color pairing never usually does, does those types of things. And we're seeing Boros, you know, creating tokens from, you know, with Ozgear and stuff like that and Alibu doing these things. And I think it's mm-hmm. a fantastic direction that they are hearing, but it's just taken so long to get there. Um, yeah. I remember back when I played, showing you how old I am. <laughs> so uh, I remember one of the th- times when I played was during uh, Zendikar Scars, Innistrad, all those blocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Delver of Secrets came out. Delver of Secrets dominated. It did a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So, in Return to Ravnica, back over in Dragon's Maze, one of the worst sets of all time, but whatever, they made a card called Skylasher. Skylasher was basically the anti-Delver of Secrets. It was the silver bullet, if you will. And we could talk about silver bullets all day long, but you could tell that that was a knee-jerk reaction card to a really big problem, and they had to try and really get that thing in there. And it took, it took six sets to get there. Dragon's Maze was yeah. like we had the Innistrad block all the way to the very end of uh, of the Return to Ravnica set. Skylasher helped, you know, fight Delver of Secrets. But man, look how long it took to get there. And this is what I'm kind of yeah. thinking about C21 and the design direction. Yes, we want to see more creative things. We want to see more stuff done that isn't just Boros combat, you know, uh, Demir reanimation, etc. So and I really like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And I mean, like to your, to your point, six sets, uh, 12 years ago was a lot longer than six sets today. Six sets. I think we've had six sets since the beginning of 2020. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it was, uh, considerably longer. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and so that shows you just how long it took for them to react. And that was like a mm-hmm. knee jerk reaction. Like we really have to do something about Delver and it took them that long yep. just to do it. So yep. it, it that's why I say, like, coming down the pipe, there might be stuff coming for Thassa's Oracle. We don't know, yeah. you know? Like, there might be stuff coming for Underworld Breach. There might be a better win condition coming down the pipe. Like, this uh, this dress down, I actually really like this dress down a lot. Like, instant speed humility for two mana. I think it's aggressively costed, and, like, I'm high on this mm-hmm. card. Um, but I think if if they came up with better, like, triggered ability hate at instant speed maybe Thassa's Oracle is not as big of a problem anymore, right? You get three copies of them in your opponent's decks. 
maybe it's not a problem. Maybe that's one of the ways that they fix white. Mm-hmm. Like anti-triggered ability, I think, could fit in white's color pie. I agree. Yeah. Um, you've already got Hushbringer. You've already got uh, Hushbringer F, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you had something for one mana instead of three, maybe it's something that people play. Yeah, that's very, very true. One last thing I want to just go into full conjecture theory, you know, not based on any sort of fact or anything, but just from your feelings, if you will. Um, do How do you feel or, or what do you think design is going to do? If you looking at Thassa's Oracle or maybe looking over the past, you know, I guess it'd be a little bit over a year now and seeing everything that they're creating, what do you think they're doing? And do you think they're going to deal with Thassa's Oracle? Like in your heart of hearts, like all conjecture, all theory, we're not basing this in any sort of reality. What is your gut telling you? Well, I would say if they do, it's probably going to be a coincidence. But I think the likelihood that there's a coincidence is high given the rate of new carts and products that are coming out. Um, the stuff that they've been printing lately has been quite good. And and again, I think if you were to look at the top 10 cards, not even in the format, but in CEH, you know, you might not end up with much change in the top five, but the numbers five through 10 have probably changed in the past year to 18 months. Mm -hmm. So I do see something better than Thassa's Oracle coming. Uh, It would not shock me within the next two years. If if you told me, if you you know showed up on my doorstep and said I'm from the future, it's 2023 and the format is dominated by whatever, not Thassa's Oracle anymore. It's not even good enough. That wouldn't shock me. That's um, interesting. Yeah, because I think that people definitely live in the present, and I think that people's memories are very, quote unquote, short because number one of new toys always coming out, uh, as well as just that sometimes people are just late maybe not late, but just have, don't have a long history with a format. I have, you know, a decade history with this format now. So I remember things like dead eye navigator. I remember when primetime was legal. I remember those things. Um, and so, you know, you might shock some people by saying that you're like, Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if that historical wasn't a thing two years from now. Some people will be like, this thing is such a huge issue. I can't believe you would ever say that this thing is going to just, it just define CEDH from here on out. I'd point to, like, there was a point in time where, you know, CEDH was defined by, um, you know, food chain, like food chain Prosh, like we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And then think about the number of food chain commanders that have come out since Prosh, right? Like there was General Tazri, there was uh, Niv-Mizzet, the five-color Niv-Mizzet, there's like uh, the first sliver. Too. Yeah, yeah, it was like literally a month. <laughs> Shaper yeah. was devastated. <laughs> he, was, he was like, oh, okay, first sliver, here you go. But yeah, like over the course of six months, we had three new Vujin commanders, well, maybe not six we months, did. but it was like, but that's the rate of change, right? All it takes is for them to release one Busto card in one standard set that they didn't anticipate having an impact on the CDH meta. And now it looks entirely different, you know? People love to brew. And, uh, you know, I, it would not surprise me. I, I don't think that what's out there that's better than Thassa's Oracle is exists yet, but it wouldn't surprise me if it did exist in the next 18 months or two years. All right. And so with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. That is everything that we wanted to say about Thassa's Oracle. Maybe there's a little bit more in there, but you'll have that. Um, but a big, big thanks to Jim. Thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing these great, great insights about Thassa's Oracle, the CAG, EDH, all of it. It's been wonderful talking to you. So tell the audience uh, maybe what, where they can reach you and maybe some stuff to look out for in the future coming from you. For sure. Uh, thanks for having me on, by the way. This was really fun. Um, 
you can reach me uh, at thespikefeeders at gmail.com is uh, our group email address. You can also reach us on Twitter at the Spike Feeders, or if you want to get in touch with me personally and not email a group inbox of seven people, uh, you can reach me at JimTSF on Twitter. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me, uh, or you can hop in our Discord, uh, the Spike Colony. You can find it on any of our YouTube videos. There's a link to it. Uh, and yeah, you can either DM me, or I have a uh, dedicated channel to uh, CAG Discourse. It's a public channel. It's not behind a paywall on our Discord server where you can come and chat with me and the other people in the Spike Feeders community about various issues that face the format. Um, yeah, if you want, uh, we are going to be releasing that uh, interview with Nikaju that I mentioned earlier. That's probably coming out sometime within the next week or so. We're just finishing it up uh, in editing. Uh, it might even be out around the same time as this gets released. I'm not sure when your publishing schedule is, but... Um, and then, uh, yeah, we've also got a, a new partnership with a new sponsor uh, who's sponsoring our Better Know Combo videos, or Combo Explanation videos. So we have one coming out on the uh, Garth One-Eyed Black Lotus Deadeye Navigator. We talked about Deadeye Navigator a bunch, and I've got a, a nice spicy combo where you can kill people with Shivan Dragons. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. All right, great. So all those links will be in the descriptions below, so go ahead and check that out. And with that, we are going to wrap it up. So thank you very much for watching slash listening. And we will talk to you next time on the Play With Power podcast, where we talk about all things EDH, CEDH, and Magic the Gathering. Thank you very much.